What's up, guys? Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host for this ad space as well as for this podcast. This one is with Kenny Stretz. He's a good dude. Wait until you hear some of the stuff he has to say. But before you listen to this guy, former military, current cop, all around good dude, grab yourself a cup of Black Rifle Coffee. They are our number one sponsor. They're our good friends over in Salt Lake City. They've come out with a bunch of good stuff. I am partial to the instant Black Rifle Coffee. I carry it with me everywhere. Any chance that Black Rifle has an event, there might be a couple extra Black Rifle coffee instant packs that make their way into my pockets. I don't know how that happens. It just happens. Um, Today, I'm powered by Beyond Black. I've been drinking it all day. If I'm talking way too fast during this podcast, please utilize the rewind function and listen again. I can't help it. It's good stuff. It gets me through my day. Like I said, Black Rifle Coffee, their website is blackriflecoffee.com. They're located over in Salt Lake City. They're doing a bunch of cool stuff. They're letting Mike Glover live out his race car dreams uh, by putting their name all over his rally suit. They're doing a bunch of cool hunting trips. They, they're doing all sorts of good stuff. Uh, so blackriflecoffee.com is the website. Find them on Instagram. Find us on Instagram. Share it with your friends. There's nothing like you know, during a cold day to just have a cup of black rifle coffee first thing in the morning. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell you what it does to your digestive tract, but you might even be listening to this podcast after you had black rifle coffee. I'll just simply say it's good stuff. Um, I love it. So guys, please visit them blackriflecoffee.com. This podcast is brought to you by them. And I guarantee Kenny Stretz is the type of guy who drinks a lot of black rifle coffee. So we're going to get down to this podcast, but like I said, please visit our friends over at BRCC. They're good folks. Guaranteed you're going to like them. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Coming at you with Kenny Stretz. Kenny Stretz. What's up? (laughs) So full disclosure to anyone that's listening, we are going to try to capture lightning in a bottle here because Kenny was here visiting Fieldcraft Survival Headquarters. And I don't know who screwed it up. I'm not taking responsibility because I recorded the damn thing. <laughs> Kenny was here. I'm, I'm blaming this one on Rob. Why? Because he's not here. Um, so we lost a podcast that we did with Kenny and I felt terrible. I was like, I got to get this guy back on the podcast because he does some great stuff for this country. He's done some amazing stuff for the shooting community. He's a straight shooter in more ways than I can tell you where he's going to tell you himself. And he's, he's a good friend. So Kenny, welcome to the Field Cross Survival Podcast. Welcome back to me. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. By the way, I forgot to mention he's a ball buster, which no, no, never, never. New York cop never doesn't happen. Um, which is probably a good thing that we had to record, uh, re-record this because last time I might not have been politically correct there at the end. So, uh, not that I'm a ball buster. I don't want to validate any, any claims you're making. <laughs> right. We cannot confirm or deny your ball busting capabilities. Um, but yes. let's, let's recap. Let's kind of, I mean, I I don't even want to try to follow the same flow as last time, but so let's just tell people who the heck you are. Let's start from the the present and work our way back. Sure. Uh, So I got to, yeah, I haven't, it's, it's funny, a buddy of mine, I don't know if you know Rick Hogg, Warhog Tactical, uh, you know, when you you go out to SHOT Show and you're meeting with different companies and stuff, Rick's like, dude, you got to get an elevator pitch and here's mine. And and I can almost recite his, I've heard him say it so many times. So I worked up a uh, elevator pitch, but I haven't said it in a while. So I'm going to go for my elevator pitch just to let everyone know who I am. If I can remember kind of word for word (laughs) what it was, because I haven't said it. So it's, it's good, I guess, to have an elevator pitch, but I guess you got to keep practicing. It's like anything else, but yeah. So, so uh, I'm Ken Stretz. I own Stretz Tactical. Uh, my background, nine and a half years in the Army Reserve. I did a year and a half as a communication support soldier in 1st Battalion, 11 Special Forces. And when that unit got disbanded, transferred into military police and I was, uh, did my remaining time divided between a National Guard and Army Reserve MP company. Uh, I got out just before the global war on terror, so I missed out on that party. And I've been a cop in New York for 25 years. Started my career with the NYPD. And since then, I've worked at the state, county, and local level in a variety of capacities, Marine Patrol, Foot Patrol, Highway Patrol, Park Patrol, Bike Patrol. I've done presidential and foreign dignitary security details, firearms instructor. I was on a small multi-jurisdictional SWAT team for a little bit. Uh, Started my current agency's first patrol rifle program. I was involved in a line of duty shooting in another incident, just a few feet away from another officer got in a shooting. 
I've uh, responded to a lot of shootings and stabbings as a police officer. I've uh, been involved in dozens of incidents with folks that were armed with uh, guns and knives that were successfully resolved without any shots being fired. So I've taken those experiences in the streets in New York, kind of added my, uh, my military training in there, as well as have you know kind of like a student of the gun, right? I've been to legitimately somewhere around the neighborhood of 100 shooting schools. And I forged it all together to uh, create Stress Tactical, which is a mobile firearms training company that provides handgun, shotgun, uh, carbine, low light, force on force training um, all over the country. I got classes in California, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, I don't know if I said Connecticut, but kind of all over and trying to expand that because I can retire in a few years. And uh, yeah, that's kind of my my elevator pitch there. Yeah, you've you've done it all. Uh, and one of the things that I that I appreciate about you is, you know, I've got a bunch of law enforcement friends. Uh, you know, I, I work with a bunch. I, I've had them in classes over the years, and you know, it seems like there are some cops that are that are very, uh, they're great representatives to wearing the badge. They're like, hey, you should get into it. It's a great career. Then there are some that are like these gatekeepers that want to say, well, you could never be a cop. Well, you don't know anything because you're a cop. And I've never ever, ever got an inkling of, of an idea that you were of the latter variety. I've ne- you've always been like, listen, from a law enforcement perspective, let me tell you how it is. Like you're very even keel. And I think that's what translates so well into the, into the way that you teach is that look, as a, as a cop, I can do this as a civilian. You can do that. You, you can do this. I mean, you know, the law inside and out. Um, and that always comes across really, really well, uh, in, in the classes. And that's actually one of the, my experiences with you. Like we met at a Kyle, the four class, um, years ago. And then I, I, through my company, I was like, Hey, we should do a shotgun class. And you're like, yeah, just get me X number of folks. And we did it down in what it was Cortland Manor, right? Cortland Manor, New York. Mm-hmm. which that, by the way, gives people a lot of pucker factor. They're like, can I bring a shotgun into New York? <laughs> and people, I don't it's, think, I mean, you it, did a, I'm sorry. You did a video on, on like traveling with guns, which I want to talk about in a second, but mm-hmm. people have a misconception of like, I can't leave the state with a gun, you know? Well, it's, it's one or the other, right? You either have the people that are like, uh, I am. can I curse on here? You know you me, can, I like yeah. drop F-bombs. Like, Be like yourself. I carpet F-bomb. And I, and I actually think that came up in the last one, right? I'm always trying to correct my political incorrectness, right? Um, so people, um, you know, people think, oh, you know, New York, F that. You know, I'm going to have my, you know, standard AR. Or I'm going to have my magazines, you know, F this stuff. Or it's like, oh, my God, I, you can have that. Or, you, you know, you get one extreme or the other. Um, and some people just don't know they're in between. Um, some people will like come to a class with, you know, what they legally should have or whatever. And then we'll just say, you know, when they get a feel for you, you know, they test the waters, you know, not that I personally, I don't care, but sometimes, you know, uh, because of what I do on my day job, it's like, please don't test the waters. I mean, how do I know by looking at something you know, when it was manufactured or what it is, or, you know what I mean? There's so many fake uh, 10 round magazines that look like 30 round mags or whatever, or maybe you're, you're showing up to a class with a friend who's in law enforcement, you've ordered their firearm or their magazines or, or whatever, but it's like, I don't care, but you know, is it worth it if you, you know, when you come into come to and from a class, if you got something that you, you know, I say you should be able to have, but the New York laws say you shouldn't have, you roll your car over and, you know, you got to go out in an ambulance and the tow truck comes, you know, and the cops come and they inventory everything was in your car. And now you get, you end up with a felony because of like magazines or guns you shouldn't have. So it's, you know, and some people are like, oh, just move out of the state. And, you know, cops are bootlickers if they, you know, arrest you for that. It's like it, it's such a, a difficult place to live uh, if you're a gun guy. And I'll tell you, I just I, like we do a series here called Coffee and Questions. I got a question from a guy and he's like, are you still going to support the thin blue line if they're enforcing illegal mandates in New York? And I simply replied to him. I was like, dude, I'm going to support the good cops that are out there. Most of these cops know what they need to do and what they have to do. And a lot of the ones that are making these terrible decisions are ones that are trying to like climb the ladder, but they're few and far between. Um yep. You know, and and I'm not going to put you in a weird spot, but I know that there are a lot of cops out there that are like, I understand magazine capacity. We're not looking to bust the little guy. We're looking to go after the guy that's, you know, 
selling drugs to, you know, kids outside the playground, you know, that type of thing. Like you become a cop to do cop stuff. You don't become a cop to, to take down good people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, you know, sometimes cops don't understand the law either. So before the safe act, um, and I can say this cause I don't work with the guy anymore, but, um, the, uh, it, you could have pre-banned magazines, right? So uh, the law followed the original Clinton assault weapons ban. So if you had magazines that were, what was it, pre-94, I think? Yeah, I think September, 94. September 94. So if you had those, you were good to go. And then the law also, uh, you know, exempted if you were National Guard. And it, it, like, broke down, you know, law enforcement, all these other exemptions, right? So I'm getting changed in the locker room one day. The guy's locker's right next to mine. I, I see a 30-round AR mag on the top shelf of his locker. I'm like, cool, dude, when did you get an AR? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, when did you get an AR-15? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't I don't have one. I'm like, well, you have a 30-round AR-15 mag on your the shelf in your locker. And uh, so he's like, oh, that? I took that from someone. And I'm like, why did you, why'd you take that from someone? He goes, you can't have those. I said, oh, yeah. When was it manufactured? And he just looked at me. <laughs> so I started explaining the law to him. And he's like, well, he was a National Guard guy. And he said that that was like his favorite magazine. That's the magazine he kept in his gun all the time, ready to go. If something happens when he was in Afghanistan. So you stole U.S. government property. <laughs> and he's like looking at me. So I had to like pull out the penal law. And the funny thing about New York the exemptions to 265, which is uh, criminal possession of a weapon, the exemptions are at the end. All these other laws, all the exemptions and definitions and all these other things are either built into the law or up front. But with the gun law, all the exemptions were hidden in the back. So this guy legitimately, you know, he, he didn't charge the guy with it. He just took it and said, hey, you can't have that, which obviously was wrong. But, um, you know, he didn't know any better. So you're not even getting trained properly. And the same thing happens kind of in the air, uh, airport. Uh, and I, I could probably save this till, till we talk about, you know, traveling with a, with a firearm, but some of the port authority guys, I don't think totally know some of the, the travel laws when it comes to firearms. You know, I, I think I told you the story a while back, uh, 2015, I flew out of, uh, either, either LaGuardia or JFK, but, um, I flew to Yellowstone and I had a SIG 220 with me. And people are like, you flew out of New York with a handgun. I'm like, absolutely. Because I did my research ahead of time. I, I contacted the, the law enforcement that was overseeing it. I said, Hey, I'm flying. What do I need? They, they sent me an email. I printed out that email. I left from Connecticut. I went straight to, to the airport. When I got to the desk, they're like, Oh, we well, got to call the police. I'm like, call them. You know, like I knew what I had to do. <laughs> and the funny thing was, is that this guy comes over and I had my little file folder and I'm like, good morning, officer. How are you? You know, I treated him with respect. And then I said, oh, I'm like, by chance is officer Quigley here. And I'm going to give him a shout out because he was a nice guy. And he goes, oh, you know, Quigs, you know, Quigs. Oh my God. You know, and then he thought I was on the job and he goes, oh, how long have you been a cop? I'm like, I haven't been. I just emailed Quigley. And it turns out that Quigley is now like a detective or whatever. So shout out to Quigley on the NYPD. But, uh, He's like, he's like, oh my God, you know, you did everything right. Don't worry. You're good. I'll take you to the front of the line. Like he, he was a good guy. Um, nice. but, uh, I, I think people have just a misconception of what they can and cannot do. And the, the best course of action is to just be well-versed and also, I mean, be respectful too. Like, I think you'll get stuff taken from you, confiscated if, you know, you're being arrested and, and, <laughs> you know, like I, I, for, for other things, you know, like for, for, for breach, you know, but, yeah. um, one thing I want to I want to bring up before we talk about other firearms travel, you just posted something about another habit of cops that you're like, what the hell's wrong with you? Didn't you post about a guy who had a, a 17 round Glock mag and he only had like six rounds in it? Oh yeah, um, it was either part of another post or I forget if there was a separate post. So there was uh, a couple of years ago the sheriff's department I used to work for. I was an armor, right? So I come back from uh, an armor recertification and they talked about a certain part in the gun that, you know, hey, check to see if guys have this because it's prone to breaking. You got to replace it with this, this new version. So I go to uh, this one particular uh, person and uh, I said, hey, dude, you know, you just got a drone present. I got to check out your gun. And I, and I pull a magazine out. It's Glock 23. And so a 13 round mag. And I'm like, dude, you got about six or seven rounds in there. He goes, if I need more than that, I'll kick a motherfucker in the face. Jeez. And I'm like, oh, my God. And that same guy, uh, I'll leave his name out in his position, but anyone who 
knows me from that place will know who I'm talking about, got arrested and fired, I don't know how many years later, for beating the shit out of a prisoner, um, you know, on, on video in a courthouse. So it's like, you know, people have this mentality, I won't need more than this many rounds or that many rounds, but then, you know, you follow it up with just his mentality overall was obviously not good. And then another, uh, around the same time, I went to check the, Actually, I didn't have to check this other guy's gun. It was only prone to the Glock 23. This guy comes to me with a Glock 22. He's like, hey, dude, I see you checking guns. Can you check mine? I'm like, no, 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 you're good. It's a different model. So he's like, no, 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 please. I would feel better if you check my gun. I'm like, all right, you're on present. He pulls his gun out. And as he's pulling his gun out, I'm looking at the extractor, and the loaded chamber indicator is not sticking out of the slide. So I'm like, is your gun loaded? And he just looks at me like a deer caught in the headlights. I'm like, is your gun loaded and he's just staring at me and i'm like give me a gun i pull the mag out that had all the bullets in it and <laughs> pull back on the slide and i just reached over and i smacked him in the back of the head i'm like why are you carrying you know in condition three and i'd explain what that was and he's like well i, I thought it'd be safer and this guy worked in communications and, um so he wasn't like out on the road at the time but i'm like dude you come and go in your uniform, right? You, you know, you stop maybe for coffee or gas. Yeah. So now you, no one sees a police car and they decide they're going to go in there and rob the place. They round the corner and they see you and they already got a beat on you. You got to go and draw and remember to wrap the slot. Like, are you retarded? <laughs> you know, it's like cops are just, you know, with the exception of a handful here and there, they're not gun guys. And, you know, you get one, maybe two training days a year, depending on, on where you work or maybe some other assignments you might have like SWAT or something like that. But the average guy, they just, it's not their thing. That's just, you know, it's just like a flashlight to them or their radio. I mean, I think that's something that we we've talked about in the past. Like what are some, some, pet peeves of law enforcement and some ways to correct it. Like I, I know like our, our mutual friend, Bill Rapier talks about police qualifications and he's like, it's not a standard, it's a qualification, no. you know? Uh, and I think when you look at everything that you guys have to do, driving community relations, comms work, uh, self-defense, like there's that idea, Oh, every cop should be a, at least a blue or a purple belt in jujitsu. It's like, when are they going to train? You know, like it's hard enough to get police officers and, and armed professionals to come to train if they're not getting paid, you know, now you have to tell them you're going to pay your gym membership and, and train on top of all the hours you're working, taking time away from your family. Like it, it's, I've heard some people advocate for like, Hey, there should be one day of a week of training that's built into a police officer's, uh, you know, like weekly schedule, like all day training all day. You know what I mean? Like, well, there was a guy, it was definitely a special operations guy. I don't remember Army, Navy, like who it was or whatever. But his thing was, if I was the king of the world and I had dominion over all law enforcement, there would be like twice as many of you and half of you guys would be out on patrol and the other half would be training all day. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's kind of like that special operations, you know, deployment cycle, you know, deploy, you're on alert, training up for the next, you know, doing a workup for the next deployment, you know, that kind of mentality. It makes a lot of sense, but nobody can afford that. Right. But yeah, right. it makes sense, you know, get there in the morning, you know, do PT, you know, lift weights, run, you know, whatever, and then go do BJJ and then go to the range and go to the driving track. And, you know, all of that makes a lot of sense. Um, it'll never happen, but yeah, that's probably how it should be. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think are some of the other, corrective actions for some of these pet peeves that you have. Cause I mean, I mean, I, I've talked to with a bunch of guys who are like, I can't believe cops do X, Y, Z. Like, do you have any things where you're like, we should stop doing this. We should do this instead. So, I mean, there's probably a lot, a lot of things like that. Well, I mean, you, you got all the experience in the world. So you've seen a lot. So really, you know, people talk about police reform and defund the police and, you know, all this other crap. Yeah. There needs to be police reform, but, it starts and you can use the military and in particular the special operations kind of template for it. Um, you got to totally re redo everything from the ground up, right? Starting with selection and training. Make the selection process harder. I know two, maybe three police academies where uh, if you fail the physical fitness test, which you have to pass just going through a civil service process to get in there. Um, and I've heard instances where people were just pushed through. And, but I, I know 
uh, like I said, three, I think it's three police academies now that I've heard of where people fail the physical fitness test in the academy. It's like, all right, you, however many people come back, uh, you know, tomorrow at 12 and you're going to retake it. And then they miraculously all pass. Um, and, but they didn't really pass because people watched them fail again and they were pushed through. So one particular police academy, I had some friends that were instructors there and I'm like, why do you guys do that? And it's a, you know, all three of them are county level academies. And, uh, you know, one in particular has numerous, uh, well, actually all three of them have numerous high end communities, right? So high end communities, they have a lot of, you know, political pressure and, and pull and stuff like that. So the, the answer was, Hey, listen, um, it's not our job to, uh, to, to fire people. I said, no, it's your job to make sure they meet a standard. The reality was those high end communities, if you failed their, uh, their recruits, there'd be political pressure put on their bosses and then in turn on them. And maybe they'd get booted out of the academy. And, and that's all an, an assumption. I wasn't told that, but it was kind of like, hmm. And they got really pissed that I called them on it. And it's like, dude, those guys might be the ones out there in the street working with you. You know, one particular guy I know that failed out, I worked with in a, in a particular agency one time and he was, you know, we'll just say extremely overweight and really out of shape and his attitude was really bad and he was just a problem child. And, and you know, he, he worked in a few different places and he was a problem child, you know, right off the bat in every place that he's worked. So, you know, if we increase the difficulty of the selection process, that's part of it. Then the next step is the training, make the training better. You know, I've had police Academy uh, instructors tell, especially firearms instructors say, well, you know, we got to train to lowest common denominator. No, you don't. You have to create a standard, maintain a standard, and ensure your recruits and your in-service personnel maintain the standards or to do the duffel bag drag. So, you know, those two things alone would help. But then you got to go after the, uh, I don't say go after like in, in a bad way, but focus on your instructors, in particular your firearms instructors. I know a ton of firearms instructors that can't shoot or can barely shoot or can pass some BS qual with a B-27, you know, target. Um, and, oh, I'm an instructor now. And then they'll go through, you know, they'll pull out a manual that their department has. All right, this is what we're going to do. And it's like the same BS every time. You're not training anyone. You're making sure they pass this thing. And one place I used to work, um, the guy failed. The target was a B, uh, not a B-27, it was an FBIQ. So what did they do? They left him on patrol with his gun, no problems. Next year, uh, when he came back, we, we were shooting B-27s with a big orange dot in the middle. So you just said that there's really not a standard. And the st- New York State doesn't have a standard. It's up to each agency to come up with their own. Once you qualify in the academy, you never have to qualify again. And I know two agencies, um, well, three, that once you reach a certain rank, you don't have to qualify again. And those bosses take advantage of it. Eh, yeah, I'm not going to the range ever again because now I'm a lieutenant or I'm a captain or I'm a inspector or chief. And one of the one of the three, um, the union put in a I don't know, complaint or something and, and they changed it. Now everybody's got to qualify. But it's like, do they really qualify? Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to call out anyone, but I'll say that I've met a few chiefs over the years. You know, and usually more political than any other cop I've ever met. You know, they they have to yep. maintain their position, and I've met a few of them that they stay very street. You know, like if they carried a seventeen as a as an officer or uh, you know as a lieutenant or whatever, they carried the seventeen on their hip as the chief. But then yep. I met a, then I met a couple that go down to the smallest possible gun they can carry, and I'm like. Hmm. And just what you said right there, I've heard someone say, yeah, it's because they don't have to qualify with it, you know, and it's easier to, it's easier to carry, you know? Um, so yeah, I I know, I know what that's all about. Um, you know, I'll tell you, I, I think you guys have a, a thankless career. Um, there's a lot of nonsense that's out there. I remember we talked about that last time you were here. I don't want to kind of you know, open up those sores again, but what do you, what do you think the future is going to be of, of law enforcement? Like if you could step back and be like, Hey, look, I've seen it from the inside. I'm talking about it from the outside. Now, what do you think the standard is going to be like for law enforcement five years from now? Like, do you think, uh, regardless of administration, like people are still going to be holding up cell phones, trying to catch cops doing crazy stuff. I mean, are, are cops going to be all body cammed up? I mean, where do you think it's going? 
So, I mean, that's a, that's a, a, a tough question uh, to answer, right? Because you're kind of looking in the future and it, there's a lot of unknowns. Um, there is big pushes everywhere for, for cops to have body cams. But here's another issue that uh, people are seeing in New York is something that's called discovery. So basically, if you get arrested and there's any kind of evidence, and that includes, you know, dash cam video, body cam video, uh, surveillance video from inside the police station or whatever, all that stuff is available to the defense in what they call the, the discovery phase of, you know, the prosecution. So to maintain all of that stuff, uh, agencies have had to either hire an extra guy or take someone and dedicate them to the person who has to deal with discovery. So uh, a lot of agencies are refusing um, to get body cams because they can't dedicate, especially smaller agencies, they can't dedicate somebody full time to sit there and maintain all the stuff and go through it and card catalog it and, and all that. It's uh, So will we see everybody with a body cam and a dash cam? Probably not. Should we? Yeah, we should. And I'm of the opinion I want a body camera. I've said in, in a few different places I've worked that didn't have them. Why don't we have them? Um, you know, yeah, you could run your mouth and say something stupid. And, and I've seen people do that, like accidentally lean on the, the microphone in the car and like bad mouth a supervisor over the air and stuff like that. And it's it's funny as long as no one gets in trouble. But now you take something else, uh, you know, and, and I've said it too. Like I remember going to a court case, guy was like um, – under the influence of drugs and driving and, you know, up on the stand and they're playing the tape uh, from my dash cam and me and a trooper searching. It was like, you know, man, I, I know I got this guy or, you know, I, I, I want to find the, you know, whatever I said really in reality wasn't bad. I'm just trying, you know, to take someone off the street. It was obviously he was impaired and everything. There's video of him driving all over the place, but um, whatever I said, and, and again, it wasn't super bad, but they took it out of context and it was like, Oh, see that he's just trying to like, plant drugs on my client or something like that. So I realize that there's a, uh, you know, the other side of the coin, if you will, but more often than not, more often than not, it'll save you, especially in hiring communities and uh, high crime communities. Um, they're the worst of both worlds, right? Um, the high end people, if you give them a ticket or, you know, you arrest them or whatever, you can't do that. I live here. I pay your salary. I'm so-and-so I'm related to so-and-so. Uh, and what that does is just make a personnel complaint and they'll say you were rude, even if you weren't, even if you kind of kissed their rear end. And it's the same thing in the high crime areas. You know, they just they're going to get even with you. So they're going to go and they're going to make a complaint against you. Well, let's just go to the videotape and let's watch the dash cam. Let's watch the body cam. And then, you know, once all of these people start to hear over and over again that making complaints doesn't work because we're just going to go to the videotape, you know they're going to stop making these bogus complaints. And then you could take it a step further, make them sign a sworn statement under penalty of perjury. Mm -hmm. You know, that this is what the officer did and this is what he said and this is how he acted and just let them know, Hey, if the officer's wrong, we're going to go through, you know, the process and whatever disciplinary charges, you know, he deserves, he'll get, but we're also going to let you know that if you lie and we go and we check the video, you will be arrested for lying, you know? And, I would love it. I, I wish it was it was mandatory everywhere. I don't know that it will. Um, the other thing I've seen in the last handful of years and just talking to cops on other jobs is these younger guys uh, that are coming up. You can't tell them anything. They know everything. They don't want to do anything. Um, you know, even with just like two months out of the academy, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's like, dude, you don't know. So we're dealing with a different generation. When I started 25 years ago, I was told, keep your mouth shut and your ears open. And, you know, like I started with NYPD, right? So they, when you get out of the academy, um, you go to your precinct and you're put, at least back then, they, they change it periodically. So I don't know what they're doing today, but you were put in a field training unit. So you're in a squad, like 15 guys. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you're with training officers. Other times you're kind of like on your own, your training officers are busy, your training sergeant's busy. And you kind of like ask other guys, but some older soldier guys don't want to talk to you. The guys who go before you, like the class previous, they usually see you struggling and they're like, yo, man, let me help you out. You know, what's your question? What can I do for you? Or even before you get to that point, they see you bringing in a prisoner or doing whatever. And like, hey, man, um, do, do you need do you need anything? You know, you got any questions and, and here's some tips. And, you know, I don't see that anymore. 
You know, you, you might get some crusty guys like, yeah, I'm a cop for 30 years. So uh, listen to me. They just want to hear themselves talk instead of truly helping guys along. Um, but nowadays it's just a different, it's just a different breed of person. I don't think the work ethic is there anymore. Uh, I know one particular law enforcement agency, uh, if, if people are taking off and calling in sick or whatever, um, they'll put out a call to everyone. Hey, who wants overtime if, to fill these shifts? And a lot of guys aren't doing the overtime. They're like, no, nah, I don't want to work. Yeah, I, I did my 40 hours already. I, I'm good. I don't need any extra money. And then they're putting bosses out on the road, answering calls and taking reports because they can't get guys to do the overtime. So they run short or they put the bosses out there. It's like insane. So, you know, and then you look at everything that's been going on 2020, 2021, you know, who would want to be a cop? You know, right. NYPD's <clears throat> talking about firing guys over the, um, you know, the vaccination thing. And, you know, some people put in religious exemptions and then that was denied. It's back and forth in a shell game. And I'm waiting for the <sighs> day that like all these, uh, all these dismissals or firings or whatever we want to call them, they're going to turn into massive class action lawsuits. I mean, I just saw today that, uh, mayor of New York, like a, what, 1400 people in different uh, parts of like city workers, right? Like police mm-hmm. fire, I mean, what if, what's going to happen? I mean, all those lives are affected and damn, I mean, at some point people are going to start talking to one another and there's going to be some crafty lawyers out there and who knows what's going to happen because everything is changing so fast. Um, yeah. And, and there's another good example, right? Of uh, don't do as I do, do as I say do. So it, I don't know, a week ago, two weeks ago, maybe, maybe just a little bit longer. The new mayor, former NYPD captain, I think he retired as, um, a video surfaced from 2019 where he said, yep, you know, PO, I don't know if he was a detective, sergeant, lieutenant, captain, I passed all of those crackers. You know, I flew right past all the crackers and, you know, he used the N-word or a lighter version of the N-word when he was referring to the people in the room. And he's like, oh, yeah, sorry about that. And the union president, Pat Lynch, who's been the PBA president for over 25 years because he was there before I got hired. It's like, yeah, no, we don't have a problem with it. We're just going to keep an open dialogue with him. A, if I said something like that, if we flipped it around and, and I said, hey, I surpassed all of these N-words, you know, my crackers or something, you know, like, what would happen to me? I would have been gone in a heartbeat. But the mayor is allowed to stay, you know, and then the police, uh, the PBA president doesn't take him to task. Oh, no, we're just going to keep the rapport going. No, dude. You've been a PBA president for too long. You're going to let that slide? Absolutely not, because any one of your cops would be fired. You know, it's there's it, a double I'm standard. Tired. Yeah, I was just going to say I'm tired of the double standard. And these politicians that get get away with things. I mean, I know one particular politician or government official, or whatever. His wife uh, drove off the road and, and crashed into an embankment, and supposedly a cop in this particular agency saw it happen, and the person was intoxicated. And he was newly promoted to a new position. And instead of arresting her, the rumor, you know, wasn't there, but the rumor had it that he called the husband and said, hey, come pick up your wife. And all out of fear. Anyone else he would have arrested, but he was afraid of losing his job, losing his new promotion. And it's like, it's bullshit. That's another thing that's got to change is cops got to be protected better from people that are in power. And, you know, I don't care if you're a rich person in a rich neighborhood or you're a politician or whatever you are, there, there should be some kind of protection for cops where, you know, you can't all of a sudden, hey, you didn't have your hat on. So we're going to take, you know, five vacation days from you. And the reality is it's just punishment for yeah. taking a politician or someone uh, to task. So what's going to happen in the future? I don't know. It's not looking good now. Um, you look at some of the guys um, that, that NYPD is hiring and I'm not knocking them. I started on that job, but uh, you know, I have friends that are still down there, family. Uh, one of my family members used to work in uh, at the firearms range in the gun shop. And at one point, right after they lowered the standards, he said, dude, you get guys coming in here. My gun's broken, yo. My gun's broken, yo. That's how you talk to me? Like, and that's how you talk? That's how you formulate a sentence? It's just a different, it's just a different generation all around. And when you lower the standards, like my class, to give you an example, again, a long time ago, 97, uh, I was the first test that required uh, two years of college. And I don't know if you had to be 19 prior to, but they raised the age to 22 years old. I took the test in May 
Got a letter in June, started processing in September. I was in the academy in April. Normal, and I think I got like a 97. Normally would have taken like two years to uh, to get hired, uh, even with a 97. They put those standards in there. It cut out a lot of people. And, you know, I got hired super fast. That said, there was guys who were uh, NYPD cadets, which is like a volunteer program or whatever. They're considered a promotion. We had a guy, and I was 3,460 on the list for the 97. There was one of these cadets. He scored a, I don't know, whatever the base number to get in, maybe 70 or something. It was like 40,000 on the list, but because he was a cadet, he got bumped up to 125. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'd read aloud in the class, and it was like something simple, like the dog walked down the street, and he would struggle on each word. The, 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 the dog and like it was you just you just wanted to fast forward through it it was so painful anytime he had to read and i'm not knocking the guys but this goes back to the standards thing and that was back then now they've gotten rid of the the physical agility from what i heard as a joke it's some kind of like bs obstacle course or something and you know the college thing is gone and you know they were taking people that were arrested for felonies that were dropped down to misdemeanors and um, all sorts of stuff. So they've lowered the standards and they've seen a lot of cops that shouldn't be cops get, you know, getting hired with, with all this change in law enforcement and with all the shenanigans that you've seen, uh, it doesn't surprise me that you branched out and you said, you know, I'm going to do some technical advising for, for some TV shows and for some Hollywood. And I know like, I don't even want to get into the whole Alec Baldwin thing, what happened, but <laughs> you've seen some stuff on, on some, shows and you've been a part of some big shows that I think people would be surprised. Like, Oh, he did that. Um, like what are your experiences getting away from the police work side? Like as an armorer, um, like what are some things that people don't realize that armorers do, or what are some things that you've seen where you're like, please don't ever do that again. Like I'm supposed to be here for safety and you are, I don't know about as bright as a potato. <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of stuff really. Um, so I've worked with a few different prop, gun companies and I'll, I'll give them a shout out because they are like the gold standard in my opinion uh iss weapons out uh out in la uh carl and larry and anyone who watches hollywood weapons i forget what if it's on the outdoor channel or, or or whatever but uh larry zanoff he's one of the uh i'll call him a character on there but host or whatever um him and, and carl run the gun uh, the gun side of ISS prompts out there. And those guys are consummate professionals. Um, I went there years ago and, and kind of how I met them, me and someone I was dating was in the acting world. And we reached out, Hey, you know, we're coming out to LA. We like to check the place out. And we did it. they showed us all the cool guns. They showed us all these different blanks. And that was my first real education in it. And the professionalism and the detail and all the stuff about safety was great. I did some training for some actors uh, in another part of the country with another, uh, you know, decent size uh, equivalent of ISS. And, you know, I had to just train the the actors to, you know, draw and shoot and reload and do all of that stuff. And I said, I'll leave the blank safety to you guys. So you guys do a spiel. So, uh, and, and after seeing Larry Zanoff, you know, go through this whole thing with me and I know he's done it with other people and he's like, videos of him on youtube and stuff i expected that gold standard that iss weapons is known for and it was like yeah um so they and this guy was like the manager of the place or whatever he's like yeah you know blanks can can hurt you yep uh, so just be safe and like you know don't point them at anyone or something to that effect he, he might have gone a little bit more into it but i was like oh my god you know larry did this whole thing there's like you know fully plug barrels and there's you know three quarter load all these different things and did a demonstration you know against paper or plastic or something like boom you know see you can see that there's you know they can they can hurt you or this one if we have to pretend we're executing you we can safely put this particular gun to your head um so that that was one of the the first things i saw was like oh my god it's it's not the same across the board from company to company uh and then i was training some actors one time and then you give the, the the spiel, you know, the four rules of safety, even though you're, you know, working with blanks or whatever. And like, don't play with the gun. Like, all right, everybody holster up. We're going to take a break. And um, so everyone starts coming off the line and all of a sudden they hear pop. And I'm like, what are you doing? 
<laughs> and the guy's like, well, I just, I, I, I wanted to get one more rep of, of the draw in and the gun went off. And he had already, like, I checked him and he'd holstered. Everybody's good. We're turning to walk off the line. So I didn't think I'd have to stand there and watch you, you know, doing about face and walk off the line. And he just decided, yeah, I'm just going to do this one more time. <laughs> um, another guy uh, for a particular production, he couldn't make it uh, to the firearms training portion. And he was a little bit of a, I'll say like an extra, because he did have a few lines in this particular production. Um but we're on set and we're going to do a quick impromptu kind of here's how to work the safety on an AK. And, you know, here's this particular guy uh, had an M9. Like, all right, here's how the safety works and all that. That was kind of the plan. And A, the producer was like, or not the producer, the director was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, we'll get to it. And I had to keep, keep pushing like, hey, we got to do this because these guys got like no training. So the one particular guy, I'm like, hey, you know, if any of you guys had firearms training for, yeah, 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 I've had a whole bunch. And I'm like, okay he's probably the guy to, to watch and you know we, they didn't have any blanks uh at this point but he's got his his beretta and he starts twirling it mm-hmm. <laughs> like like in an old western you know to pull the guns out and he's, he's twirling it with his finger in the trigger gun and i was like amazed that he was doing that i, I just it, it blew my mind um and, and, I, and, and a lot of what you're talking about i mean it's funny to to laugh at Hollywood actors and be like, oh my God, I can't believe they do that. I can't believe they do that. But you mentioned, I mean, you've been to a hundred something shooting schools. I've been to 20 something shooting classes like with SIG Academy and whatnot. And I've seen people do that in classes where it's like, I just want to get another, another string of fire. And it's like, you didn't hear them call out ceasefire. Like, like but I mean, like we're quick to point the finger at other people. Like I would never do that. I would never like, there are people that do that, um, you know, and then they confuse what is training with what is just basic gun safety, right? Like, like there are some folks out there that they'll say like, oh, I go to the range all the time. I've had a lot of training. It's like, well, if you just go to the range and you practice, it's not the same as training. Um, but yeah, that, that type of stuff drives me crazy. Um, yeah. Now, uh, let's talk about something else because we're, we're running short on time here and, you know, got to got to get through a lot because you've done a lot. So at some point, in addition to law enforcement, in addition to working as a Hollywood tech guy, you started Stretz Tactical, um, mm-hmm. pistol, carbine, shotgun. I mean, you're you're doing a little bit of every everything and, and all around. I mean, do you have a particular firearm that you enjoy training the most? Probably the hang, not probably the, the handgun, and that's because it's the hardest to master. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your shooter, you know, like any kind of long gun, you got four points of contact, right? Both hands, your shoulder and your, your cheek, the stock weld. And it's, it's pretty forgiving, but with the handgun, it's not forgiving. And you need, I was going to say, you got to put in the training or put in the time on the range or whatever, but it kind of, what you said is, is exactly right. You, you can't just go to the range and, and pull the trigger. You need not only training, but quality training. And you need people to teach you how to be an accurate shooter and then from there, how to be faster, how to manipulate the gun, you know, draws, reloads, presentations, all that other stuff, shooting on all these other things that have to be, um, you know, on autopilot, should you find yourself, you know, in, in a shooting at some point. But uh, it's it's way harder to, uh, you know, say shoot a, a 90 or better on a B8 bullseye at um, at 100, at, I was I was going to say 100 yards at 25 yards, or you want to do something like uh, it's one of my favorites, uh, Cal DeFore's hat qual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 25 yards, you got 20 seconds, draw and fire 10 rounds uh, on a B8 90 or better. Um, you know, you're not just going to go to the range and just start shooting on your own and, and pass that drill. You need to learn how to be accurate first, then it in the speed and all the other stuff. So it's way harder, um, you know, outside like precision rifle. Um, and I think you've done some precision rifle oh, yeah. stuff. Once you start getting in the wind calls and knowing your dope and moving targets and, and you know, a couple hundred yards out, thousand yards out, um, that's a whole other other ball game altogether. That's outside my uh, my lane. I know a little bit about precision rifle, but outside of precision rifle, um, you know, handgun is definitely uh, 
probably the hardest I think to master. And, so and you can go deep in the weeds with any of those, right? Like you can get into long range handgun. You can get into low light handgun. If you want to go with carbine, right? You can do like the, the current craze, right? Everyone's a recce rifle now. Everyone's like, I yep. want recce, recce, right? Like they're getting away from the idea of, I want the shortest rifle to, I want a 18 or a 20 inch barrel to get more velocity to send my round farther and faster, right? Like, I mean, you can go deep in the weeds with any one of those, the precision rifle thing. Oh my God. Talk to Kevin Owens. The funniest thing that Kevin Owens does in his shooting classes, he'll say at the very beginning of class, all right, guys, scale of one to 10 who here, you know, what do you think you are? What's your number? And I'll, I've seen this multiple times sitting in on his classes and guys are like, I'm a nine. I'm definitely a 9.5. Right. And then it comes around to Kevin Owens. Who's like former head of sniper school for special forces. Right. And Kevin Owens is like, man, you're a nine. I'm like a four, you know? And <laughs> and then the other funny thing that happens is later on in the, in the class, guys would be like, I'd like to change my answer from four down to about 1.5, you know? And it's humbling, right? Like he'll tell you things like the, the mile, the mile shot is, is all like a parlor trick, right? Like you can shoot a box of ammo at a target and you could miss every single time, or you might get it on the first shot, but you won't be able to recreate it every single day. Like he said, it's, it's not something that's that that's a real skill set that he admires. He's like, you you can have a good day, you can have a bad day, um, and I think that's one of the cool things about firearms training is that like you can you can specialize, but I mean with what you do, I mean you go from handgun to carbine to to shotgun, and that's where we talked, and that's where we had so much fun um, with the shotgun. And you know, this is me selfishly kind of plugging some of the stuff that we do here, but like I really think the shotgun is something that's underutilized and under appreciated. Um, but what's your background with the shotgun and, and what are like, what's your background with the shotgun and what's like three things that everyone should know how to do with their shotgun. So the shotgun is either my, I'm going to stop and think my first gun was either was at 14 years old. I know that. And it was either a Ruger 1022 or the Mossberg model 500 maxi combo. So I don't know if you remember service merchandise, Oh my God, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I got both of those guns at Service Merchandise. And it was, I think it was the 1022 first, and then I got the, the Mossberg. So I've had a Mossberg, if I got the 1022 or 14, I've had the Mossberg since like 15 years old. I eventually sold it and, and you know, bought other Mossbergs after that. But so it started, you know, 15 years old, just, you know, I want a gun for home defense. And I tried hunting a little bit when I was a kid, I never really got into it. Um, but, you know, that was kind of going to be my, um, I guess, a utility shotgun, for lack of a better terms. If someone broke in a house, um, I had it, you know, loaded in my bedroom closet and, you know, we can go hunting with it. And uh, it was just cool. And, you know, so it started there. Um, didn't get any shotgun training in the military. Uh, I got it in my second police academy. And from there, you know, you'd have it in the car. And, um, you know, the police training was never like everything else with the shotgun is even worse than, um, than the handgun or the carbine. It's just, uh, the last two agencies I work for, it's something like 15 rounds and okay, you're qualified, you know, it's like five slugs at 25, uh, load as you move from like your pocket, never mind a side saddle. And a lot of places don't have them. And then, uh, you know, five rounds from the hip and okay, you qualify. Right. Um, obviously there's way more to a shotgun or way more that you need to know for to, to utilize a shotgun properly. So I started taking shotgun classes as a student um, just so I could learn how to, um, you know, better utilize the shotgun. Right. So uh, as far as three things everyone should know, one patterning, right. You've got to understand in a defensive or tactical application. How far out can I go shooting my particular load of buckshot? Then if you change that load to a different load, how is it, um, you know, how's that other load pattern? Cause it won't all pattern the same, even federal flight control wad, which I think is like the best, you know, gold standard. Out there for shooting. Yeah. Gold standard, yeah. gold standard. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. But I've seen uh, on occasion, a particular shotgun, it could be the same, you know, make and model, say a, a Mossberg 590 or Remington 870, whatever. And, you know, everybody's shooting the same gun, whatever. Uh, that particular 870 that, you know, student X is shooting and it shoots like crap don't know why and it's like here try you know some from my lot of ammo and for whatever reason that gun didn't like it so um 
you know, it's, it's a rare thing, but it does happen once in a while. But, uh, so yeah, definitely patterning your, your shot to understand it, uh, managing recoil because it's not as bad as you think. Yes, it does recoil, but there's a, a couple of great, uh, shotgun management techniques out there. And if you don't think you can manage it, go watch Lena Mitchellick shoot a shotgun with slugs. Um, she's a small girl and, and she can rock it with slugs and she shoots fast. So, um, you know, if she can do it, you can do it. So managing recoil and then in a defensive tactical application, select slug drills, uh, which if you don't know, I know you know, but if the listeners don't know what that is, that means your gun's fully or partially loaded with buckshot and you need to get one or more slugs in a gun for whatever reason, how to quickly and efficiently and without losing uh, or with losing as few uh, buckshot rounds as possible getting the, the slugs in there and, and shooting. Well, why would you need to do that? Well, maybe the shot is past that uh, pattern uh, distance for your, for your buckshot. So now you got to switch to a slug because you are responsible for every pellet that goes down range. So eight or nine pellets, whatever you got in your, in your buckshot, that's eight or nine lawyers that are flying down range, just waiting to bite you in the butt. So you get past that distance. Um, you know, now you got to switch to a slug or, uh, you're shooting the guy and it's not having the desired effect, right? Well, why would that happen? Body armor. I've seen numerous suspects over a 25 year career wear body armor on the street. It does happen. And now, you know, just look at 2020, 2021, uh, all the rioting, the civil unrest, BLM protests. How many people did you see out in the street with body armor, plate carriers, helmets, right? So it's not far fetched. It's even less far fetched now than it was a couple of years ago that you may have to switch to a slug. Well, no, I'll never shoot you know, past seven yards. All right. Ask the, uh, what was the husband and wife out in, I think it was Missouri or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, did, did they ever think they'd be outside with a revolver in their air 15, you know, 200 people storming their gated community. You got to give her a shout out though, the way that she held that revolver kind of like she was holding like a, <laughs> like a cigarette, you know what I mean? Like solid, solid stance. That one turned out to like not even be a real gun or a working gun oh or something. God. I think that, that came out of the trial. But, you know, if you train for, uh, you know, and, and this drives me crazy when people say this, what is it? Three yards, three rounds, three seconds, mm-hmm. or some people call it five yards, five rounds, five seconds. You know, the typical textbook engagement. What happens when it's, you know, 10 yards, you got three suspects wearing body armor and maybe you're injured or maybe you're just missing, right? Maybe you're not using your sights. You're not slowing yourself down with that adrenaline dump. What happens now? You have to train for the worst case scenario, the scenario you can't even imagine so that when you find yourself in that three yards, three rounds, three seconds, you know, it's going to be an easy, I don't want to say easy day, but it'll be an easy day because you've trained at such a higher level for such worst case scenario that this was a walk in a park compared to your training. Yeah. We're on the same page when we talk about like 25 yard shooting or, or 50 yard shooting, you know, everyone wants to shoot fast up close, right? It's cool. The gun goes boom a lot very quickly, but you can't maintain that rate of fire at distance with any respectable accuracy, like dangerous lack of accuracy at that point, especially if there's a loved one involved. So I think that's, that's so important to, to talk about. Um, one of the things I want to, I want to ask you before we, we sign off, cause we're running, running late here. Um, we mentioned, and I know that this is partially my fault for kind of being like the poster child for ADHD, undiagnosed <laughs> ADHD. We talked about traveling with guns, but we didn't talk about actually how to do it. And I'm just looking at my show notes here so I can pass it on to Ricky later on and be like, Hey Ricky, here's what we talked about. Um, we talked about it, but not in great depth. So let's, let's end on this note. Let's have, give me and give the folks that are listening your advice on how you can travel from one state to another through an airport with a firearm. You know, what's your experience? Cause you did a video, which I thought was priceless. So, uh, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, it, it depends really on, well, first of all, let me say it's not as scary, you know, as, as some people make it out to be. Um, and I think, in kind of in the intro to this, you, you, you did a great thing. You, you know, oh, I emailed the guy, I printed the email, I got this and I got that. You had all your ducks in a row. So that's that's the first step, right? Knowledge is power and don't expect, you know, say Port Authority police officers and nothing against them. You know, I'm not knocking them in, in any way. Don't expect them to understand the law. you got to be better versed in the law 
than them, and you better have it in black and white, and just totally understand it. So once you understand everything, and especially after you've done it a couple of times, it's really not that bad. Um, it, it's more intimidating in New York, which is kind of where it started for me. But being a police officer, not so bad because I have that, you know, that protection, you know, if you will. So uh, you, just using as New York as an example. Uh, so I live in the suburbs. Uh, I'm going to go to JFK. It's kind of like the airport I use most of the time. Uh, so for me, I have the gun, you know, if I'm trying with a handgun loaded, concealed on me. Uh, I go all the way to the airport parking lot. I unload it uh, there. If you're listening, listening to this and you're from New York or whatever and you got a full carry, you better pull over before you cross the city line and unload it put the gun uh, in a lockbox, put the ammo separate. Um, but for me, I do it in the parking lot and you know, strip down the magazines. I put them in a separate container. I think the there's like the TSA regulations and then each airline has a regulation. I believe it says it's supposed to be in the original container of the ammunition, uh, but I just have an aftermarket, you know, like a reloader's box that would put uh, rounds in. I'll put it in there. Um, sometimes I would get you know, be kind of lazy and just take the loaded magazines and throw them in a little pocket in my uh, my suitcase. But sometimes the rounds would pop out and there'd be rounds all over the place. So I stopped doing that and I went back to putting them in, um, you know, the reloader's box or whatever. Um, so I do that and the gun's in a lockbox um, and I put that lockbox in my, my suitcase, right? So ammo's in there, gun's in there, it's unloaded. I checked it a million times. Go inside, I go to the... Um, to the you know the ticket counter hey i gotta declare a firearm right and if you're flying with a firearm uh if you try to do the check-in you know on your phone that advanced check-in or whatever when you get the, it gets to a part where it says something like do you have any special items or whatever so like if you had a dog or in this case a firearm you won't be able to check in online or you only be able to do like a partial check-in online um so you have to go to the ticket counter there's no way around that you go to the ticket counter and in new york and probably New Jersey, because they're both patrolled by the Port Authority Police Department. Um, you're going to have to call them. They're going to you know, put you on hold for a second. They're going to call the Port Authority Police. You should probably give yourself an extra hour in those airports, because uh, if you're at shift change or something like that or something's going on in the airport, your ass is waiting for them to come. There's times where they just happen to be right around the corner. Or if you're walking in, maybe grab one of them. Hey, dude. Uh, I have to declare a firearm. I know they're going to call you guys. Maybe you can walk to the ticket counter with me if you got a minute, um, you know, and just to kind of expedite things. So you, you call them and while you're waiting, they make you fill out a tag. Um, you know, it's like a firearms declaration form. And really just they, they, it got some kind of mumbo jumbo on there. I forget what it says uh, about declaring the firearm. Then you sign it and date it and they put it, uh, some, some of the guys will put it in your lockbox. Some of them just want to put it in your suitcase. Uh, every airline, you know, ticket agent's a little different. Um, support authority, uh, if you're in New York or Jer New Jersey, will come over. They'll ask to see your permit or your police ID. Uh, they'll look at the gun. They'll verify it's unloaded. They'll write the serial number down, uh, your police ID, the phone number for you, for your agency, whatever. Um, I've heard it's the same thing with, with pistol permit holders. Uh, but what you got to be careful about uh, in a place like New York, for example. So I asked, and I think I talked about this in the video you mentioned. I asked a Port Authority cop one time, hey, man, uh, let's pretend for a second I was a civilian and I'm coming here at my, my permit from, from upstate New York. He's like, oh, yeah, you get arrested. Like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, you know, having a gun. And I'm like, well, what about the Safe Transportation of Firearms Act? I'm just coming down here from, say, Westchester County, and I'm going to come through the airport. So he's like, oh, yeah, 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 that. Yeah, okay, yeah, no, you wouldn't. But we would ask you, did you stay in the city overnight? Mm -hmm. And, well, what if they say yes? Well, then we'll arrest them because you can't lodge in the city overnight. You know, it's like a direct, I think that's part of the Safe Transportation of Firearms Act is, you know, you can't lodge, you can pass through, the gun's unloaded, lockbox, ammo separate, just like you're doing in your luggage, you'd have to do that in your vehicle or whatever. Um, and they charge people. So it's like, holy crap. So you have to keep that in mind that if you are traveling, you know, to a New York City airport, you can do it. And most people just avoid it to avoid any problems and the fear of getting arrested. Um, so, you, you know, you, you do that and sometimes they zip tie your luggage. Well, they'll take your luggage over to, to uh, the TSA people. They'll swab it, make sure there's no explosives in there or whatever. Um, I'm not sure why they do that. Um, if, if 
gunpowder or guns somehow could if there's a way to mask explosives I, I i don't know but they they swab it they check it and make sure there's no bombs in your luggage for some reason and there's times where they'll uh put depending on the airline they'll put something on the outside of your your bag that indicates there's a firearm in there and i said something so that port authority cops will walk you and your luggage over away from the ticket agent and I said something to a cop one time. I'm like, dude, does that mean he's like, yep. And he ripped it off. Um, Cause it's like, people don't need to see a tag that says there's a firearm on there. Um, when they're done, they bring a guy up that specializes in specialty luggage, dogs, you know, guns, whatever. So there, there is some knowledge that there's a gun there. So you get to your destination. Um, you go to the baggage claim. Some places you're, you're, suitcase with your your gun on it or if you have uh, last time i flew i had a shotgun with me so i had a big pelican case um we'll wait for you on your you know on the uh, the carousel and just come out like normal other places like jfk it will go to uh the ticket office or special luggage office i forget what they call it but you have to go over there present the id which is great i got i got no issues with that and usually it's zip tied um so after they inspect it they'll zip tie it to just make it a little bit harder for people to you know break into your luggage um and you pick it up and you know you got to be careful for a while i was i would go in the bathroom in, in the airport load my mags load my gun you know work the action go <coughs> you know kind of mess the, uh, the noise of the gun being being chambered uh and and go on about my my trip but i found out that there are airports that uh you can't have a loaded gun in there at all and it's a crime so i stopped doing that now wait till you know i get in the rental car i get to where i'm going and i'll I'll load up so you gotta bear that in mind too if you're in a hard loaded gun back up yeah one Um, of the things i always tell people with traveling with a firearm is if you have to stop in like New York or Jersey or Chicago on a layover and the flight gets canceled, you do not ask for your gun back. You do not ask for your luggage back. You say you need to retain possession of my luggage and give me like a courtesy bag with like a toothbrush in it and stuff like that because you can't possess that gun even on a layover if they put you up in a hotel or whatever. You know what I mean? So like will, I say, will they do that? Will they, I, I've never heard of anyone oh, doing yeah. that. It's a great idea. Oh yeah, man. Uh, like they're flying back from the sawmill last year. I got stopped in Chicago and it was this crazy blizzard and they're like, would you like your luggage back? I'm like, nope, just forward it on to my destination. You know, when the flight leaves tomorrow and, and that was it. Cause I mean, I had a, I had a Glock 48 with me, you know, and I'm like, I can't carry this thing in Chicago legally. You know what I mean? And, and even though the Uber was, I think it, they wanted to charge like $50 for an eighth of a mile drive or a quarter mile drive. I was like, I, I'm not walking through three feet of snow with a pair of, you know, sneakers on. Cause that's what I had. Um, so I got an Uber, but like, you gotta be real careful you got to remember where you are at all times and all the, what all the rules are. But, uh, yeah. So I've heard of, you know, for people who don't kind of get what you're, what you're getting after there, I've heard of people being forced to leave JFK and LaGuardia, uh, with their gun in there, you know, cause the connecting flight gets canceled. And when they come back, they get locked up and it's yeah. like, you made me leave. You know, what do you do then? So you asking them to, I think if that happened to me, I would probably, well, first of all, probably a good idea to just try not to get a connecting flight through New York if you travel right, on a farm right. just in case. But if that happened to me, I'd ask them to do exactly what you're saying. If they refuse to do it, I would ask them to call the Port Authority police and, and you know, tell the cops, hey, listen, this is a connecting flight. They're kicking me out of the airport. Is there any way you guys could voucher this, these guns or or hold these guns and put them on the, I don't want to, you know, they're forcing me out of here. I do don't want to break any laws. I'm not trying to break any laws. I know you have strict gun laws here. Um, so that's a great point that you, you, you bring up, um, airports. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, other airports, it's way easier. Um, they don't usually call the police and I've traveled, you know, uh, Utah, Vegas, uh, LAX, um, Atlanta, Georgia, um, a whole bunch of other places. Usually it's like, Hey, just kind of hang out here for 15 minutes. Um, you know, they'll check your gun down at TSA, make sure, you know, I guess they probably do the explosive swab or whatever they do out of sight. Unlike they do it, say JFK. And if everything's good, um, they don't bother you. And, you know, you go on and, and you know, you board the aircraft and it's, it's easy to, you know, it's an easy day. Now, the first time I, uh, flew with a gun i I went uh, from new york to la and then when i was coming back to la i went to they have uh airport police out there 
And I said, hey, I'm going to declare a firearm. And they're like, no, nope, you don't need to notify us. I'm like, all right, cool. There was a learning experience. But then she goes, hey, I hope you get your gun back. I was like, what? She's like, oh, yeah, we have a lot of larcenies here. And, you know, oftentimes it's people's guns that are stolen out of the luggage. So you got to keep that in mind. The other thing. Man, is- California is the greatest, isn't it? <laughs> well, not just California. Um, you know, I got separated from my luggage. I was going down to Rogers shooting school uh, in Georgia. I get to uh, Atlanta airport and I was there super early. So I don't know how my luggage didn't make it on the plane. Um, but uh, I got down there, the bag wasn't there and I was having a heart attack. So I grabbed someone, don't tell them there's a gun in there. And they're like, all right, let me see. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Your, your luggage didn't make it on there. It'll be on the, the next flight. Um, but you know, just look out for it because we had a gun stolen out of here last week. And he's like, we've had a bunch of guns stolen out of here in Atlanta. You can just walk in right off the street, right into the luggage, the luggage rack or carousel, whatever is like right there. And it happens all the time. So just keep that in mind when you're traveling with firearms, you could be uh, you know, the victim of a, of a larceny. Yeah, we don't want that. Um, and, and one last thing real quick, uh, what's his name? Bob Vogel did a post on Instagram recently. Um, he was traveling with guns for a match or teach a class and he's a reserve deputy sheriff or something like that somewhere. He was on the plane with his connecting flight, didn't lay over or nothing like that. And they, they pulled him off the plane cause he had guns in his bag. And it's like, he's just connecting flights. He didn't do anything. And he showed his credentials and that kind of killed it right there. But like, what if he didn't have any credentials? The guy's literally a connecting flight and you're going to what charge him with a crime or something. Insanity. So, you know, not don't say any of these things to scare you, but just bear in mind somewhere like New York or Chicago, or whatever could be a little bit uh, more hectic. And it's probably better to avoid them. If you're from out of state, if you're from in state, just, you know, um, call, you know, do what you did, call down, email down, get a name, get an email, get, whatever get the safe transportation of firearms out get all your ducks in a row if you have to go through that particular airport um just so you have something to show them and to kind of protect yourself but you know outside of new york it's or maybe chicago i've never never been through there but um outside of places like that it's easy man it's really you know don't let it intimidate you and once you do it you know once twice you know it's like uh, it's easy all right man well hey uh let's tell people where they can find you and yeah, so uh, let's get on our the website, stretztactical.com, S T R E T Z, tactical, all one word, dot com. Uh, and on social, right? So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, at Stretz Tactical. Awesome. Well, Kenny, hey, thanks, man, for uh, for redoing this podcast. I don't know if we no, captured thanks, all the magic with this one that we did with the first one. I know that we uh, we left out a couple insults, but that's fine. Uh, there's plenty of time <laughs> for insults. Incorrect, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a, it's all right. Uh, you guys can kind of fill in the blanks and imagine what we said about certain people. But in any case, it was a good time. So, dude, hey, I wish you the best of luck with everything. Keep up the good fight out there as, uh, you know, one of the good guys out there in blue. And, and don't let all thanks, those bro. politicians, you know take any more power away from you guys. I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, Hey, have a good day guys. Thanks so much for listening to the field for all podcast. I'm Kevin Sella. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>